when you go onto a scout and you say, this is the approach that we want to do for this lighting. We want to do like a 20 by like overhead rig with, you know, these lights on stands over here. And this is, and then you get there and you're like, actually, this looks like shit. And what we're going to need to do is just like, and the client's watching you and like, you know, like that happens yeah, sometimes, it does. but it's like, how do you handle that stress when the DPs, like you can tell, like their body language is super stressed out and they're not giving you much guidance because maybe they don't know what to do and they're looking at you. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nakotra, here today again in the studio by myself because Shane, my incredible business partner, is at home being a stay-at-home dad to his new beautiful baby girl. So shout out to Shane. Uh, uh, and one other cool thing too, I got to shout out Shane one more time too before we jump into today. But Shane actually just got nominated for his very first Emmy and he is now an Emmy nominated filmmaker. So shout out to Shane. Can't be here today, but for a project that he just directed, he was nominated for an Emmy. So we are holding our fingers crossed for that to see if he wins and we can call him an Emmy Emmy award winning filmmaker. Uh, and so that is in the works right now. Um, so anyway, shout out to Shane, but in the studio today, we have one of the most skilled lighting technicians in the filmmaking game who is very passionate about pouring out uh, his education for others to learn and to grow from. And so we are excited to have the Colorado Gaffer in the studio with us today. So welcoming to the show for the first time, Tyler Kashke. Tyler, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. Well, I have been a fan of yours from afar. Uh, Tyler has a blog online where he pours out uh, just in-depth uh, insight into how he does his job from a day-to-day -day basis. And then also his entire page is filled with very detailed lighting diagrams on how he achieved certain looks and different uh, carousels and swipe throughs uh, to see some of the before and afters and, and uh, just really gives you an in-depth understanding of how lights um, and the lighting process works. And as a DP, I learn a ton from following Tyler. And so we are excited to have him today and to talk with you. And so, uh, man, take me back to the very beginning about um, just you getting into the industry and, and then how that kind of all happened for you. Sure. I mean, I had a pretty unconventional path. I mean, I think most people in production have uh, a less than linear path, I guess you'd say. Um, I studied still photography in college. Um, I got a two-year program, a two-year degree uh, at a small like design school in Chicago. Um, I graduated in 2008 and shortly after graduating in early 2009, the 5D Mark II was released. Uh -huh. And I got one of those cameras and I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, YouTube was like four years old at the time. And I was like, I think I see a path forward in video, this motion picture thing is pretty cool. Um, and I had some friends um, that went to Columbia Film School in Chicago, and they got me on set as a PA on like bigger commercial jobs. And at that time, it was also, you know, the recession was still hitting pretty heavy. And um, to see that there were 30 some people like skilled technicians of all kinds working on these sets gave me you know, more hope and seeing that there was more of a job opportunity in, in the motion picture side than, than the still photo side. So I kind of, you know, a lot of my early days was spent, you know, reading books, watching YouTube videos, working as a PA, asking questions and having some good mentors to teach me. Um, and then, you know, slowly kind of shifted, you know, I guess, well, let me take a step back because early on, I wanted to be a DP like most people and loved cameras and lighting and, and all that stuff together. Uh, but quickly found that, you know, being, a, being a DP is really, really hard. And, you know, you're at the, you know, just below the director on the pyramid and it's, it's, it's a tough competitive job to make a living at. Um, you know, you can do like videographer stuff, but like being a DP is truly, you know, it takes a lot of skill and, and, and persistence to get there. And so again, you know, just kind of weaseled my way through like being, you know, it started out being a grip on, um, a reality show, kitchen crashers 
in Chicago, which was just like, you know, you as a grip and on a reality show, you're just like pointing kinos into the ceiling and, you know, helping out with various tasks. But that kind of like was the first real like job credit with a, a title that I was able to like roll into other jobs and then kind of started, you know, going from there. Um, and it was a combination of working with, uh, you know, friends of mine as a, as a gaffer who were like doing like indie film projects or small commercials. And I was the gaffer and then, you know, working on bigger sets as, you know, a third electric or whatever, you know, and just, or a, a G and EPA, you know, trying to, to learn from people that were much more skilled than me. And then a combination of if those two, you know, paths kind of led me to where I am today, but yeah, it was a lot of trial and error and figuring stuff out and here we are. I love it, man. I think a lot of people that, um, are, are in the gaffing world, um, have a, a, a similar trajectory, you know, and, and, and a somewhat similar path, you know, everyone's looks a little bit different, but, um, you know, I always say that DPs are gaffers and because like you have to, you know, have like a knowledge of how to talk lighting with your gaffer and, and to give direction and stuff like that. And I think there's a lot of crossover, um, on the lighting side of things, uh, and, and whatnot. And so I'm curious though, um, when you are working with a DP, do you like when a DP has more of a strong-willed vision for the exact lighting that they want to do and they know exactly what they want to do? Or does the collaborative process where uh, they tell you, I want soft lighting here and they kind of give you the free reign to choose it, like which one do you prefer, um, you know, when you're working with someone? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to the personality and skill level of the DP that I'm working with. Um, there are some in particular that I can think of that are like very, you know, very specific about the fixtures and the diffusion and, you know, make diagrams ahead of time. And they're very, very skilled, very talented. And, you know, they just have good instincts about lighting and I learned so much from working with them. So in those cases, I'm always just like, yep, that sounds like a great idea. Like I would probably do something similar or, Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a, achieves a great result. Um, on the other hand, you know, if someone's really strong willed, um, and it's maybe a little bit, you know, sub standard to my liking or whatever you would want to want to say, um, you know, my, my job is just to, to, to serve them and to be, you know, a voice, you know, discreetly if, if something could be done better, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm there to, to do, you know, make their lighting, you know, come together. But, um, I think both personality types, you know, often are very collaborative and that's, you know, really my favorite part of the job is like kind of being, being in that like one step removed from cinematographer and you can kind of look at the monitor with, you know, a, a further, distance and, and notice like reflections and, and things like details that they may have overlooked or, or, you know, someone's a little dark back there. Maybe we just fly in a tube just to lift them in the background or whatever. Um, and, and so that's kind of like the collaboration that I like to bring is just yeah. like that, that secondary level of, of detail. Yeah. Um, because you know, the cinematographer is obviously worried about a lot and, um, sometimes little things like that get overlooked. And that's one of, that's one of my favorite things about working with a talented gaffer is when they live on the monitor. Um, like so often I've had gaffers that like they do their job, they light it and they walk away and they're sitting down until, you know, uh, they're called up again to fix something. And, and, um, really almost at that point acting like a grip, but like my favorite gaffers are the ones that they live on the monitor and they're a second set of eyes for me for lighting and looking at things that I may not be seeing. And I think it really helps separate the gaffers that I enjoy working with and the ones that I don't. Um, and so I, I, I think that that's just like a good rule of thumb to, to be that second eyes, to be like, oh, let's just add a tube back here and lift this area just a little bit. And um, it makes a big difference. When you are working with a DP that you've never worked with for the very first time, um, is there anything that you would say 
would be advice or things like good rule of thumbs of things to think about? Cause like the communication process between a DP and a gaffer, super important. Like we're there to, you know, collaborate on this project throughout the whole thing and work hand in hand together. When you've never worked with a DP for the first time, is there anything that you would say is like important in um, making sure it's a smooth project? Yeah, that's a really interesting, um, interesting thought. And I will say I have a very solid network of frequent collaborators here in, in Denver. Um, some really talented production companies and cinematographers that call, you know, Colorado home. However, it's also a destination for filmmaking. Um, we have a lot of great locations and, and big companies here. So as far as commercial stuff goes, there's a lot, uh, a lot of shooting where cinematographer, director, producer are being flown in from New York or Los Angeles. And then, you know, the rest of the below the line crew are hired locally. So in those instances, you know, and that, that happens often, but in those instances, um, I, you know, generally like to have at least a phone call, um, get any like reference images, you know, for the look and feel, um, just to get on the same page creatively with our, with our language to know what it is that we're trying to achieve and have like a common, you know, vision, um, talk a little bit about, you know, just our process for lighting and, you know, some, some cinematographers are very, very much, uh, you know, everything has to be like super or like hyper naturalistic, like only one light source, you know, it's gotta be, you know, just feel like a heightened reality. Whereas others are like, I don't care if it feels like there's two suns coming in. I just want it to look good. You know what I mean? Like as yeah. long as it looks good, we're creating, we're creating a narrative, a reality that doesn't have to reflect the real world. Like it just needs to be beautiful and so, you know, just kind of figuring out where they land kind of on that, on that spectrum and how they like to work. And, um, I kind of, you know, just try to be flexible and adaptable to their working style and, you know, always at the monitor, but, you know, just kind of stepping back. And, and if I see something, I discreetly bring that up to them. They can talk it through with the director or sometimes if I feel like it's necessary, I'll just fly it in you know, yeah. when I can't. Ask for forgiveness instead of permission. <laughs> right. But uh, that's awesome, man. I love that. Um, you know, sometimes as uh, a cinematographer and, you know, a key uh, in a department, sometimes we get an opportunity to location scout and talk through some of that stuff in advance. And other times we don't. Sometimes you got to show up on the day and um, you have, you know, uh, a grip truck and you have to make it look pretty and you have to kind of act on the fly. And so... I'm curious what your creative process looks like when you get to a scene for the first time and you are trying to determine, you know, what lights to put where um, and how to light a scene. What does your creative process look like in assessing, you know, how I'm going to light this, this environment, the talent, like what are some of the things that you think about in your process? Yeah, that's a really interesting thought too. Um, and I, there's not really a clear one way that I'd do it. I, I guess I would say like, you know, every, every scene is different, but each scene that you go to light is kind of building on previous experiences. Um, so I think a, a lot of the times, you know, depending on the look and feel, if it's like a, you know, sort of moody, um, you know, high contrast daytime scene with soft light, um, you know, we're probably using like interior lighting. Like I love using, um, like my light mat fours and like as an owner operator, I also have like a set of, you know, air quotes, paintbrushes of yeah. light that I, that I use that I'm familiar with that are the tools in my kit that I, you know, I, I go to regularly that I know very well. And I know that the, you know, what they're capable of and the, the characteristics of them. So I feel like as an owner operator, I have a bit of a, an advantage in that way where I can, you know, with the base kit, work, work within certain confines. And then, um, obviously if it's like a big nighttime exterior or something, we need to sub rent things. But, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe that. So like, like, um, Roger Deacon, I think it was a Roger Deacon's interview, but he always talked about, you know, uh, lighting the background first too, even before lighting your talent and whatnot. And that being, you know, even if you're doing like a simple interview where it's like you kill the overheads and then you, you know, look for the motivation and stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, that's kind of like a, a, a baseline rule of thumb, but I was, cu I was curious if, 
you know, even part of the process was like you had mentioned earlier, like you look at reference images and, and mm -hmm. do, do you use shot deck at all for, for what you use? Or do you pretty much just look at cinematographer shot deck pitch deck? Yeah, pretty much just what the shot, what the cinematographer provides me yeah. is what, what I go off of. Um, and then if I see something where I'm like, Oh, that reminds me of this. And yeah. then like, we'll send like a follow-up image or whatever. Right, but, right, right. Yeah. Transitioning a little bit. What, tell me what the International Cinema Lighting Society is. Yeah. Uh, in the ICLS is a, an organization of, uh, gaffers and rigging electricians and best boys and, and people in the electrical department. Um, it was just founded in 2020, I believe, um, during the pandemic as a way for gaffers to communicate, share ideas and educate each other. And has since grown, you know, quite tremendously in numbers. And there's a number of like, you know, uh, corporate associate members and things like that. They have, um, you know, events occasionally and, and pretty regularly have um, like Zoom calls um, where uh, someone like a, you know, a gaffer from a big movie will talk about, you know, certain things um, from a show that they worked on or whatever. Um, so it's kind of like it's not a union, you know, it's just like a, it's, but it's like a little bit more than just like a social club. Um, you do have to have some credentials to be accepted. It does cost money. Um, but it's, I feel like, you know, there's a discord server with loads of resources available, um, networking opportunities, like all that kind of stuff. You know, you want to ask people questions and, and that sort of thing. Um, just a community. Yeah. yeah, It's a community. It's but it's just like, you know, people of a certain, professional level are you know in that group and it's kind yeah of, kind of cool kind of new i guess yeah so since there's an application process for it and you do have to have a certain level of credentials like who um who is it for you know what i mean like it should for somebody who's listening to this like is there value in you know paying the membership fee to get connected like does it open up job opportunities or anything like that yeah. so they do have they do have um different levels of membership. Uh, I think to be a full member, you have to have at least eight or 10 years of experience and references and they check your, you know, background and your work and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then associate members, I believe it's like three years of experience or something like that. And then, you know, you have access to, you know, I, I don't know exactly how it breaks down, but that you have access to most of the discord server and most of the events and most of the benefits, but you pay less money and you don't have you know, the full. That's awesome, man. Um, you mentioned that you were an owner operator and I know that you have like your own, uh, I think 1.5 ton grip truck and, and lighting packages and stuff like that for those who are just getting started and they're building their very first like kit of lights. What are some of the first lights that you recommend people get as owner operators? That's a loaded question too. I mean, it depends a lot on the type of work you do. Yeah. Um, for starters, but you know, these days most, you know, each each type of light serves a specific purpose, and some lights are more flexible in their applications than others. Like you can make a hard light soft, but you can't make a soft light hard. Sort of consideration to make. So like. You know, if you had, for example, an Aperture 600D, you could, you know, use that as sunlight through a window. You could also, you know, put a, a Leco spotlight mount on it. You could put a softbox on it. You can use it as a key light. Like there's a lot of benefits in having something like that. However, it's really heavy and hard to rig like overhead. So, you know, to use it as a backlight or, you know, on a menace arm or something, um, other lights like a light mat or a tube or something would be, you know, uh, better suited. So I think the way I kind of approached it was having, you know, a good solid key light for like in the early days of building, like it started as like an interview kit. Cause those were like a lot of the jobs that like early on people that are like a gaffer are working on corporate interviews and that sort of thing. And then, you know, to pay the bills and then you're working on, you know, your narrative projects on the side on the weekends or whatever. Um, and those obviously don't pay any money. So, you know, you buy the lights that you need for your paying jobs and then you apply them and use them for the creative projects. Um, so yeah, I would say like for someone just getting started, like an interview kit where you've got, 
you know, a hard light with a, with a big soft, soft box or, um, you know, diffusion frame or something. And then, uh, yeah, panel light for your hair and then some smaller accent fixtures for background stuff. Um, that's a pretty good place to start. And then you can always obviously expand from there by, I always like to buy multiples of lights because I feel like it's always really important to have matching units, um, either for, uh, you know, having two matching like background accent lights or for redundancy in case one is acting up, you have a backup, you know, in your garage ready to go. Um, but yeah, obviously owning equipment is like a, a slippery slope in a yeah. black hole and all of a sudden now <laughs> black you're, hole you indeed. Know, building out a three ton grip truck. So <laughs> it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Um, yeah, dude, I love that. Uh, and, and I think even to your point, like a lot of the first big lights that I got were for the interview setups, you know what I mean? And building out that interview kit because it just is the bread and butter for so many people to help pay the bills, to get to do the fun right. projects and stuff like that. Yep. And, um, yeah. Aperture has yeah, been a game. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to add to that and just say like, you know, once you have the interview kit, like I feel like you establish your, you know, at least for me, like my career was established as a gaffer in a lot of ways, like, you know, commercial work and, and corporate stuff. And I don't really do much corporate stuff anymore, but I feel like it's really great to get repetitions, like going to the yes. gym or like doing anything, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, the the more efficient you are, the, you know, the easier it is to lift, you know, creatively speaking. Um, and then you can kind of apply all that knowledge into, you know, a commercial project where you're on location and it's not an interview per se, but you you know, the quality of light and, you know, all of, all of those skills are kind of translatable. Yeah. Um, I feel like working and do like in the corporate space and, and shooting a thousand interviews, like it makes you set up better for success in the commercial space because you have worked on, you know, mixed lighting conditions and achieving softer light and using, you know, more fixtures and stuff like that. And so like lighting for interviews has been something that has really been the, the, the cornerstone of how I've learned to light everything that I do. Um, because you run into so many problems when you shoot uh, a, a ton of them and they're a great tool to learn how to set yourself up for lighting a commercial set. So I dig it, man. Absolutely. Um, dude. So talk to me about like your Instagram, uh, is filled with nothing but lighting diagrams and giving back. And you have a blog on educating other people on, um, how to light better. Tell me when, like when and why this started, where you pour back into the community and just teach others how to light. How did that all come about? That's a really interesting thought. And I think like most people, whenever they do something, there's not like, at least for me, yeah. there wasn't like a ton of like, oh, I'm going to do this for these reasons to achieve this end. It was just kind of like, um, it was like kind of like a pandemic thing and work was slow. And I was like, uh, I guess I'll just, you know, this will be a cool yeah. way to share my process and, and, you know, some of the the cool projects that I've worked on while also, you know, promoting myself and in a way that I feel like a lot of gaffers don't even have websites, yeah. let alone, you know, um, dedicated Instagram pages or, or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, the education part sort of fell out of the following and, and some of the data that I was receiving and the feedback I was getting from, from followers and things, you know, who were like asking me more, some more like, you know, more basic questions. So I was like, okay, well, these people are wanting to learn. They're here to like get, get value from, from learning something, not just looking at pretty pictures. Um, and I think, you know, I started in, 2020 or maybe early 2021. Um, and at the time, I don't think there were a ton of people making, you know, lighting diagrams. I mean, there, there have obviously been people, but like, I notice them a lot more these days. And I think a lot of it is because like people that are, you know, on Instagram are just looking for, you know, little nuggets of information. And, um, yeah, I guess it kind of just started to snowball in that, um, you know, people were asking questions in the comments or DMs or whatever. And I was just like, okay, well, I'll try to like provide more directed education about a specific topic rather than just kind of like how I lit a scene, but like why you do certain things a certain way or like how basic, you know, fundamentals of electricity and distribution work and, and that sort of thing. So, 
Um, yeah, it's kind of a work in progress for me too. I'm still like figuring it out, but it is a little, you know, as the following has grown, it's like, oh, do I, <laughs> do I dare try something new or do I just keep doing the same thing? You know, right. you kind of got to just send it, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. I think even for me early on, um, before I started this podcast and all of that, I, I wrestled with the idea of like, is it too late to be the guy that is still like sharing what little he knows, you know, with his audience and, and seeing if anything will come from it. Um, and so I, I'm curious, like for, like, do you feel like that the education that you have given out freely, like, how would you say that that has impacted your business and your career as a gaffer? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a number of, a number of positive impacts or side effects, I guess, of having that. Um, one being just the community of people that I have now connected with, like all across the country and some across the world. Um, like, it's just really, you know, like there are people that I've never met before that I am in constant contact with in the DMs who are gaffers in Maryland or California or whatever. And you're just kind of like, oh, never would have just struck up a conversation with you like without having, you know, a reason to talk together. Yeah. Um, obviously I've gotten, you know, the, the search engine optimization has been like a huge, uh, benefit for me. Um, that was just kind of like a happy accident. I don't know. It was just like, for like whatever reason I was like, yeah, a lot of out of state productions work here. People Google gaffers in Colorado or Denver or whatever. So I'm going to try to like, just see if that's available. And it was, and, um, yeah, I mean, so I, I get a lot of, uh, organic, you know, search traffic for people that are shooting from out of town, um, and renting equipment and hiring myself and my friends for, for all different departments, um, when they come to town. And then, um, you know, I get, I have some, I have some good relationship with relationships with some, uh, lighting brands and things like that now too, um, which has been really fun to kind of, you know, communicate on a, product feedback level, um, testing new things and, you know, trying stuff out and just kind of like, you know, how do I, what, what are the features that I'm looking for when I, you know, set this up or like, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of, it's kind of fun to look at like a, a prototype product and be like, how can I improve this? You know, rather than like, here's something that I just bought for myself and it, it is what it is, whether I like it or not, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been cool though. That's awesome, man. You put out uh, an article uh, a little bit back on just like tips for how to be more successful as a freelancer. Um, and I thought it was a great read. And I'm curious, like just here on the show, man, for freelancers out there, you know, most gaffers are full time freelancers. What advice do you have for them to be more successful in the industry just and in their business? Yeah, I think the one of the hardest things to do as a creative who is also in business for themselves is to market themselves in any way or like air quotes, sell themselves and send cold emails to new production companies or DPs and meet with them for coffee and, and, and think about yourself, you know, the production industry is very much referral based. It's word of mouth. It's, this person did a good job on this job on this project. So I therefore trust them, you know, on this next project. Um, but we also live in a world where, you know, there is some element of, of people looking for like visual proof of like your skills. So I feel like having a website of, you know, some of your, your favorite work, um, just to point to and say, look, these are the projects that I've worked on. This is kind of, you get a sense for the scale, um, the, the size of the team that I work on, um, or whatever. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing is just like to be just cast a wider net, like, you know, you should, you should nurture your existing collaborative relationships, but you should also constantly be like planting new seeds because, they may, this person may have their go-to gaffer and that gaffer might, you know, get called up on a, on a big show and be out of state for, you know, nine months and they need someone new. And if you've, you know, stayed in contact with them and, you know, have a, have a good relationship though, they may call you for the next job. Um, so I don't know, it's just, you just need to kind of cast a wide net. I feel like that's the benefit of being, um, 
a gaffer or key grip or, you know, AC, like anyone on, on that kind of level, like as a, as a head of your department, you're still underneath, you know, director, producer, DP here, but like you have so many more, um, opportunities to work with different people and you can, you can stay really busy, um, doing that. So, yeah, I think that would be my advice is just, you know, make contact with more people because <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of cinematographers out there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, um, for gaffers out there who are trying to like, they're still in the process of like refining their craft and, and, and building their business and whatnot. Are there any tangible like tips or things that you would recommend them doing to grow just in their own craft and not just on like the networking, shaking hands side of things as well? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, two sides of the same of the same coin, right? Cause mm-hmm. like on one hand, yeah, you can be reaching out to all these, all these really, you know, great DPs, but if they don't feel like your work or your personality even is like at a, a level that's going to mesh with their own, then they're probably not going to call you for jobs. So, you know, to be challenging yourself creatively and to kind of, you know, uh, you know, expand your horizons and, and learn more about lighting and, and your craft. I mean, um, Obviously, like there's a ton of great resources. Like, you know, I often will just crack open set lighting technicians handbook, which is like the Bible for anyone in the lighting department. You know, if I'm like, oh, I want a refresher on whatever GFIs or something like, you know, using electricity near water, like how exactly do those work again? Like, I'm just feeling a little nerdy and want to, you know, cozy up with a book here. Um, Like, you know, obviously a lot of other great um, YouTube uh, channels and things like that. Um, like the wandering DP was a really influential one for me, um, watching his cinematography breakdowns and just kind of like, Oh yeah, there is a framework for every single like pretty looking shot and they all kind of follow the same rules. Um, but at the end of the day, like so much of it is also just like hands-on time on set and that experience. And then also like your personality plays a big role in that too. So, um, you know, how you handle stressful situations when you go onto a scout and you say, this is the approach that we want to do for this lighting. We want to do like a 20 by like overhead rig with, you know, these lights on stands over here. And this is, and then you get there and you're like, actually this looks like shit. And what we're going to need to do is just like, and the client's watching you and like, you know, like that happens sometimes, but, but it's like, how do you handle that stress when the DPs, like you can tell, like their body language is super stressed out and they're not giving you much guidance because maybe they don't know what to do. Right. And they're looking at you. Um, and you just need to be able to like be confident and make a call and like roll with it and be like, I know we're AD, we're going to be, we're going to be 20 minutes behind, but I promise you we'll make it up in every, you know, in every new set uh, moving forward. And, and you have my word that we'll make this, make this up. If you give me 20 minutes now, you know what I mean? Um, just so it looks good and everyone's happy. Uh, but sorry, that was no, no, but no, like, yeah. those are kind of like the things that you need to, that come with the territory. Um, and yeah, it's just like experience and time, you know, and like yeah. making, making projects with your friends and like seeing what works and what didn't work. Um, I don't know. There's like, it's a, it's a squishy non-answer to your question. <laughs> no, no. But what I, I actually really love, um, you know, even the soundbite of just like, if you give me 20 minutes now, I promise I will make it up later. Like so often that communication with your AD or your DP, you know, is going to help put them at ease to say like, oh, this idea that like we thought would work, it turned out to not look how we wanted. And now we're under the gun. But like, now we've problem solved what will work for sure and what will make us happy. And the the whole deal with like being a DP and just the art in general and, and gaffing, it's it's all about like not having as much time as we would like most of the time to do what we feel like we could do. And at the end of the day, if we're able to take, you know, 20 minutes to make this something that we can like say, all right, this works. It may not have been you know, what we could have done if we went back and did it all over again and started this day from scratch, but it's, it's passable and, and, you know, everyone's mostly happy and, um, maybe, you know, we don't do everything that we wanted to do on the next shot. Uh, but we get that one to the same point and it's a win-win for everyone. And I think there's a lot of value that 
Like I've never had a gaffers tell me that, you know what I mean? Like say like, give me 20 minutes now and I'll save it. You know, I'll save you 20 minutes on the next one. Like to a degree I've heard it, but you know, it, it's a great rule of thumb that as a gaffer, that communication with your DP, your AD and, and the department keys like would be a game changer, you know, in that role. Totally. And I feel like that's, that's like another skill that like, I feel like a lot of people in production have this really combative attitude mm -hmm. with other departments, like, oh, production's always trying to screw us over. And sometimes they are, but sometimes not, not all the time, you know, I've right. got great relationships with producers and I feel like a lot of it is just like mutual trust right. and understanding. Um, but like one of my goals as a gaffer is to never have anyone waiting on my department. Right. If they are waiting on my department, I make sure to, you know, make up for it in other ways. Um, and I feel like that just builds, you know, mutual respect with your AD and then they will listen to you in the future when they're working with you and they're like, Hey, you're running a little bit behind, but you know, maybe we can work something out and just be a little bit more flexible. And I feel like there's no need to have this like budding of heads that seems to happen on a lot of sets. Yeah, no, that's super good, man. And, uh, I think the, just the attitude in general that you have overall is like, we've talked about it before on the show, but it is like the thing that will get you hired, you know, uh, when you can make a positive work environment and everything, even when the sky is falling on the day, like when you can make it a positive experience for, you know, the crew and still maintain your composure when everything is not going your way. Like it speaks highly to you and your, your character and your experience. And, um, it's just a great thing to put into practice, uh, as you're, you know, on in your, in your career. Um, Brother, I have been, uh, I have really enjoyed our conversation. I think you're the first gaffer that we have had on the show. Uh, and it's always great as someone who loves lighting to talk with someone else who loves lighting. Uh, but I want to be respectful of your time and get you out of here. Um, we have five questions that we like to ask every guest before we get them out of the show. And so my first question is, if you could go back and do it all again differently, what is one thing that you would change in your career? Uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, early on, like I mentioned, I, I was focused on wanting to be a cinematographer. Yeah. And even though all of the signs, the universe was very like slapping me in the face saying, Hey, you should do this instead. I was like, I don't know, but I, I, you know, I want to be a cinematographer. Like I wish I had listened to myself or, or, you know, allowed myself to fall into my role as a gaffer sooner and be like, this is the one and only thing that I am doing with my career. <laughs> mm. You know, um, I feel like I resisted it for a long time, even though I was like, you know, gaffing more than I was shooting my own projects. I was like, no, but I ultimately want to be doing this. Um, I wish I had just picked that and been like, yeah, this is all of, all of the data points are pointing me in this direction. And that's, that's the thing I should do. And I think, um, you know, it all worked out fine, but it would have been cool to have a few more years do you, of, uh, experience. <laughs> do you think it, so th this is kind of like just eye opening for me, but do you think that it's like a really common thing for most gaffers to have like this desire to want to be a cinematographer, but they're afraid to let that go to just pursue gaffing? Is that a common thing that you feel like is in your industry? I would say, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, cause I mean, a lot of cinematographers come up through the grip and electric department and right. eventually make that transition. Um, but you know, in doing so, I feel like the cleanest way to do it is to say, I am no longer gaffing jobs. I'm only shooting jobs now. Um, otherwise you end up like confusing the producers that have hired you cause you're, you know, gaffing for a job, but maybe they would have called you to shoot it, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I do feel like there's this prestige, you know, with being, a DP and, and, you know, it's a cool job, but, um, I also like as a gaffer or working in grip electric department, you, I work as a local, um, I don't travel for work outside of like, you know, maybe like a couple hours drive sometimes in the mountains, you know, overnight, but like I'm cinematographers I know are like all around all the time they're traveling, you know? And, um, it's just a lifestyle choice. Um, so it's, it's just a little bit different, but I think a lot of gaffers that I know, especially are, are like, you know, wanting to 
make that transition to the camera department at some point. So I feel like it's it's kind of a tough thing because they're making money gaffing, but right. they want to ultimately change. So interesting stuff to do. Do you do you ever shoot like even just passion projects uh, for yourself ever? Just out of curiosity. Uh, no, I don't. But I will say like, um, it's. I don't know. I don't, I don't really have much of an interest in, in that. And maybe someday, like, you know, a passion project would be a fun thing to just like get behind camera and, and test it out. But, um, yeah, I don't really have too much interest in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, I like where I'm at right now. Love it, dude. <laughs> I love it. Um, what excites you the most about the current film industry or market? Things that are exciting to me are, all of the advancements in lighting technology that are just unfolding before our very eyes. Like every trade show, there's some new major, you know, revelation. And it reminds me a lot of, you know, the 2010s when cameras were kind of going through this, um, through this revolution as well, where, you know, every year it was like, Oh, there's 1080. Now there's 1080 with high frame rate and 2k, 4k, 8k on and on and on. And something similar is happening in lighting right now, especially with, um, you know, light, uh, like the, the, the photometrics, like the brightness of things, but also like the quality of the light, wireless control of the, of the units, um, DMX moving lights, like all of these things are kind of just, it's all starting to happen right now. And it's a really exciting time to be right in the middle of the industry as a working professional. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Everything that like, like Aperture and Godox and like these, these, affordable light companies are doing where now they have 1200 by color, you know, lights that you can buy for like a couple thousand dollars. And like, you're like, you have all of the light power that you need to do most jobs. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. right there, uh, is amazing. And I'm curious, this wasn't on my questions, but I'm bringing it up cause you, you, uh, you made me think about it, but like how important to you is all of the like CRI values of, you know, all the different lights to you, um, like all these different like nuances, like even like the old school tungsten lights versus the new, you know, LED technology, like mm -hmm. how important are all of these different like nuances of, of a light to you when lighting a scene? Right. That's, um, well, okay. So I love the look of tungsten, mm -hmm. like on skin tone. I think it's beautiful. However, you on location never have, you know, the power or the budget to bring in generators to power, you know, units that are bright enough to actually, to make it workable. Um, so in the studio, occasionally I, I still use tungsten, um, because it's generally cheaper to rent and it's just kind of fun to work with hot lights for a change. Um, however, like when it comes down to like the nitty gritty, we'll call it like really nerdy stuff about, uh, about these yeah. lights. Like to me, it's more about, it's less about like the CRI or SSI values of like the light itself and more about the functionality, the build quality. Um, does it have lumen radio built in, you know, is it IP rated? Like, is it going to withstand getting loaded and unloaded three times in one day with company moves and like a dusty environment, or do I have to baby it? And it's going to like, the yoke is going to break or yeah. is it going to overheat in the sun? You know what I mean? So like for me, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too hung up on those details. Like I have, you know, a Sekonic color meter that I use primarily just to match like, you know, right. fixtures and, and, um, mixed mixed color and or mixed temperature environments you know um but yeah i don't really get too hung up on those details i just um that is for some people but i feel like as a gaffer like i offer value in in other areas and not yeah. the way that's like oh how many foot candles is that light at that distance right you know at full spot like i don't know i could google that and tell you yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> right and, you know, yeah, um, you're not shooting on film. Like if it, you know, and generally all this is dimmable from my iPad too. Right. So if it's too bright, I'll turn it down. Yeah. So <laughs> sick, dude. I love that answer. Uh, function yeah. over, was it function over form? Something like that. Anyway, I dig it, man. Um, where are we as an industry headed in filmmaking and what should we be focusing on? Yeah, I think it's, we're at an interesting sort of inflection point. There's a lot of you know, transitions going on right now. And I think you made the comment about, you know, these 1200 watt 
lights that are, you know, a few thousand dollars and the barrier to entry to be a gaffer is lower than it ever was before. And I think that has a lot of, you know, more old school people, um, you know, feeling a certain kind of way, you know, cause there, there was a barrier to entry. They were kind of like gatekeepers. You needed to know about, you know, power distribution and generators and what's safe. And, you know, like there was, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of risk and danger involved with using these tools. And now you can just plug in your light into an outlet and it's like, Oh, that's 15 amps. So I'll plug in one here and then I'll go to the bathroom and I'll plug in one over there. And, you know, safe <laughs> for most people yeah. on smaller sets. It's like the, you know, it's just the barrier to entry is much lower. And with that, more people are, are just assuming titles of, of gaffer. And I feel like there is, you know, there's more to being a gaffer than just knowing how to light. There's also, you're a department head, you know, it's a leadership role. You're, you know, coordinating, um, you know, estimates for equipment with producers and rental houses and things like that. And, you know, like stressful situations where you need to be a leader and communicate clearly to get people to work as efficiently as possible. Um, so I feel like a lot of people kind of like, you know, similar to like, I'm a DP. It's like, well, sure. You, you have nice looking images, but like if you were to be put onto a set with, you know, 50 people and a five ton grip truck available and eight, you know, people in the grip and electric department ready to go, like, would you be able to, to guide them through, you know, lighting a scene or, do you just need to shoot it at sunrise outside and make it look pretty in your own way with negative fill? Yeah. Um, and that's, those are just different types, different approaches, you know, but I'm just like, there's, there's some, some nuance to the, to the titles, I guess. And I think some of that maybe gets a little bit, um, fuzzy with, with people that are just like, I have, I have lights, therefore I am, you know, gaffer or, but like, you don't ever see people doing that as a key grip right. <laughs> because, because there's consequences. Right. 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 <laughs> in place. Like, Oh, this rig, I just, you know, watched on YouTube and it should have worked, but the car crashed and now right. dead. I don't know. <laughs> like Can you, no one's doing that. You know? No, no, not at all. Can you expand really quick before we, before we jump just on the leadership component of being a gaffer? Because I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot. And it was something that even as a DP was something that I feel like, was a later thing that I made like a pillar of, of part of, you know, my role on set. And even now I'm something that I'm trying to refine and, uh, be better about when I am on set, like the tone that, that I bring to set sets the tone a lot of time, like the director and, and, and the keys and everyone, like it sets the tone for how everyone else's day is going to unfold. And I think that like so early on, I was focused on, how can I be a good shooter? Like, how can I, you know, learn all the tech? How can I learn the, you know, the stuff that's going to get the camera movement and then, um, you know, coloring films and all this stuff. And it was like so art focused um, and learning how to light. But I didn't make it as important of a pillar of my role on set to be a leader. And as a gaffer, like you are in the sphere like when you're a key gaffer, you are in the sphere of, you know, leaders on set that people that make an impact in the tone of the set. And so I was curious mm -hmm. if you could expand on that and how you um, like things that you try to implement as a leader when you walk onto a production. Yeah. And I think a lot of that starts in like even before on set, you know, when you're in pre-production talking with producers and and everyone making plans and equipment lists and things like that. And like, my goal is always to have, you know, especially when it comes to working with producers, um, just really low friction transactions mm. and trying to make things easy and not necessarily like folding over to their every whim, especially when they're unreasonable. Um, but just, you know, being accommodating, being pleasant, being easy to work with. And, um, I feel like that translates as well down when you're working with your electricians or your grips or you're talking to your key grip and and even the PAs you know you're just treating people with respect and it's kind of like you know pretty pretty basic stuff but um I don't know like I 
I haven't really thought too much about it Yeah. in that sort of like really, it's not an easy thing to articulate like what you do as a leader or something, but it's just like have a good attitude when things are, yeah. you know, stressful and, and yes, you have to be, you know, technically and creatively proficient and good at your job, but you also like, it is a service-based industry and your client is the DP, your client is the director, your client is the producer, your client is the AD, and you're trying to make all of these people happy by being on time, being on or under budget, and making good-looking images, and also being fun to work with. So, I love it, dude. I was very well said. Very well said. Um, my my last question for you is: Who is one filmmaker that you admire, and why? And maybe I could even change it since you're a gaffer. I mean, you feel free to, to, to list a filmmaker, but, um, is there a gaffer or a filmmaker that you admire and why? The, I mean, like the first one that comes to mind is, uh, Matt Ardine as a gaffer, um, from everything, everywhere, all at once. And I was just totally blown away by like the lighting programming and like the effects that he was able to achieve. And like, you know, it was, it was just a mind blowingly beautiful visual experience. Um, so as a gaffer, I would say, um, he is, he is high on that list. And then as far as cinematographers go, um, I'm trying to like edit this, but Bradford young, right. He did Uh, Selma. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, Bradford young. Okay. Um, I just had to confirm that. No. Yeah. Um, but his, his thing, like, uh, like one of his approaches, that I've always like really admired is like his use of negative fill in a space and just working with, with the room. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, using black ripstop nylon or duvetine on the ceilings in, in a room to like, just bring it down or like on the wall, any wall that's not in the shot, you know, and just having this kind of like gritty, you know, just contrasty, like leaning into the shadow, like just that look, you know, I think a lot of people strive for that, but he's got, he's got that thing. He's got it dialed. So that's awesome, man. I love that answer. Yeah I, yeah, I love that answer. Um, and uh, I gotta, I gotta look more into his philosophies on being a cinematographer because I haven't heard that before, but I'm inspired by it. And so I definitely got to do uh, a deeper dive into him, um, brother. It has been great connecting with you. Uh, for those who are out there and want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to connect as well? Uh, I think Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, Send me a DM and I can give you my email address. I love it, man. Well, you have been, uh, bro, so fun to talk to. I love just getting to chop up lighting with other people that share my passion for lighting as well. And so thank you for pouring back into the community and for spending time on this podcast, sharing your advice with other people here, man. Thanks for having me. It was great talking with you. Likewise, man. Well, thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Rough Cut Club and we'll see you next time. 